following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Okay. Uh, this morning we'll be looking in uh, Matthew chapter 22. And so we'll start by reading uh, chapter uh, 22, verses 1 through 14. Uh, so let's read. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. I've actually titled this message, uh, The Chosen Few. right? And uh, uh, we'll kind of get to what what that's about at the end. Uh, But uh, just a little bit of background that's important to uh, understand this parable. This is the third of three parables that Jesus tells. And if you've been following along with us, you know that uh, this all started because the chief priests and the elders or the leaders of Israel, of the temple, came to Jesus uh, wanting to know uh, uh, on what authority, who he was, that he was doing these things in the temple, chasing out the money changers and... um, really even entering Jerusalem uh, as a king. And so Jesus responds to them with these three parables. And real, just real quick survey, the first parable is about two sons. One uh, says he's not going to obey the father, but then in the end he actually does obey. Then a second son says, oh, I will obey you, I'll go to work in the field. Uh, but then he actually never makes it, never goes. Uh, and so Jesus' question to them is, who who does the Father's will? And these leaders had to concede that it was the one who was resistant at first, but in the end did what he was asked. And Jesus says uh, to them and about them, you know, you, you claim to be obedient, but you're not. And he says that, that, um, uh, that uh, tax collectors and prostitutes will actually enter the kingdom before you. Right, that you're at risk actually of losing and missing out on the kingdom. So then, the second parable is about the wicked tenants that we looked at uh, last week. Guy builds a very first-class vineyard, uh, and he's a, a wealthy landowner. 
builds a wall, plants the vineyard, and he leases it out to tenant farmers. And when it comes time to collect rent, uh, harvest has come, and he comes to get his, his bottles of wine or his buckets of grapes, I'm not sure which, uh, goes and they actually mistreat his servants, and they, they actually kill some of them, just like, um, just like they killed the prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, and the king is, or the landowner here is furious that they would treat him that way and that they would dishonor him that way. And so he comes and he kicks them out of, out of the vineyard, chases them off, and he says he will find tenants, farmers, who will give him what he is due. Right? Uh, and here the, the point of the story is that those who diso, dishonor God by failing to give him gratitude and, and honor will be thrown out of the, the vineyard, which is a symbol of God's kingdom. Right? Then we come to this third parable, very similar, only this time instead of a landowner, it's a king. And this time the king is uh, throwing a wedding celebration for his son, the prince, and uh, he invites these uh, special guests to attend the wedding. Uh, and here certainly Jesus has in mind the chief priests and the, uh, the leaders of Israel as the ones who are invited to this special occasion. Uh, but they uh, reject, they decline the invitation, and they refuse to go. And likewise, they also uh, mistreat and, and kill the servants. Again, looking back at the prophets that God sent over and over in the Old Testament. Um, this time, though, the king does not just kick them out. It says that he comes and burns down their city and kills them. Right? Uh, and the, the point of all these stories, uh, and Jesus is is pointing them at the religious leaders and at the chief priests, at the important people in Israel. And he's challenging them, look, you are dishonoring the Father, you're dishonoring God because you are rejecting the Son. And you are at great risk of, of being cast out of the kingdom, and actually you're at great, great risk of your own life. You're at great risk of uh, coming under eternal condemnation and destruction at the hand of the judge, the king. Um, so uh, that's kind of a picture of these three parables together, and it's, it's good to see that in the context here, Jesus is aiming at these religious leaders. Uh, so it'd be easy to say, well, I'm not one of those guys, so I, I don't have to worry about it, right? But actually, the, 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 especially the end of this, this last parable kind of brings it back into our realm, and uh, there's a guy there who's not dressed appropriately, and he actually ends up with the same fate. Right? He ends up with the same uh, result of those who rejected uh, the invitation. He is cast into outer darkness. And so it raises some, some questions for us, and uh, the questions are these. What, what is the kingdom of God about? Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this. So what is Jesus teaching us about the nature of, or character of God's kingdom that, that we need to know about. And, and what does it mean for us to be among the chosen? Uh, what Jesus is saying here, many are, 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 many are invited, but few are chosen. The religious uh, leaders and the people of Israel uh, called themselves what? The chosen people of God. They were the chosen. And uh, they, they made no qualms about telling other people they weren't chosen. <laughs> like, we're God's people. We're the chosen ones. But what God's really challenging, what Jesus is challenging with them here, 
is that, no, actually, you are not among the chosen. You are not among God's people because you are rejecting uh, the Son. You are rejecting the King. You are rejecting God. Right? But we don't want to do that. So how do we know we're among the chosen? How do we know we're among God's kingdom people? And what does it mean to live out this life of the kingdom? Oftentimes we think uh, kingdom language points somehow to, like after we die, when we go to heaven, that that's where the kingdom of God is. But Jesus has been saying all through the Gospel of Matthew that the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is near. And it is available to you here and now. So what does it mean for us now to be among God's chosen people and to live life now experiencing uh, something of the kingdom that God intends for us? So let's, uh, let's see if we can answer some of those questions as we look through this passage. Um, first off, it's a description of a, of a royal wedding, right? Uh, that's kind of the, the picture of the parable here. And Jesus says, uh, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to or is like a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. So when a, when a king uh, throws a, a wedding for his son, the prince, it's a big deal, right? It's a royal wedding, and it says that he uh, sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. And the way it would work in, back in those days is, you know, they didn't have calendars like we do, no Google calendar. They didn't even have watches. So time worked a little bit differently. And uh, you didn't say, you know, we're going to have the wedding feast starting at 8 o'clock on Tuesday morning, and it's going to go all the way till, you know, till Sabbath, uh, sundown on Friday night. So, uh, you know, be ready, mark your calendars. It didn't work that way. And like, if you've gotten a, anybody got a wedding invitation recently? Anybody? Wow, you guys have no friends. What's, what, that's just pathetic, right? Uh, you need to get some friends, some single people anyway, right? Uh, and I've gotten wedding invitations, and they all say on there, you're like, it's going to be at this time, right? Well, in, in Jesus' day, it didn't work that way. It just said, we're going to have a wedding. Be ready. I'll call you when it's good to go, right? So these guys got the first invitation that, that there's going to be an event, right? Clear out your calendar. Be ready. And when the time's right, I'll notify you. So the time came, and they sent out his servants to say, okay, it's ready. We're, 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 we're doing it now. Come. And the feast that's spoken of here is actually, you know, we kind of think of it as an evening event. But actually, the word used here for this meal uh, is a morning meal. And uh, in, in their culture, a, a wedding would last several days. So this was the big grand kickoff brunch, <laughs> if you will, of the feast. And uh, it was a big deal. And he says, it's ready. Um, so he, he, uh, but they said, no, we're not coming. We're not, we don't want to come. We don't want to come. I know you invited us, and I know we said we would come, but I don't want to go, right? Um, so, again, he sent other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. It's ready. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Right? Come. Um, so so this, is the, this is the picture, this royal wedding. right? And we can imagine uh, a little bit. Now, I don't, I don't come from a country that has a king, but uh, you, know, you can watch the news, and uh, the most recent big like, royal wedding was uh, Prince, Prince Harry, right? couple years ago, uh, it was a big, big deal, right? And there was lots of press about it and uh, lots of hype. Uh, it was estimated they spent about $45 million on the wedding. Now, 
uh, as it turns out, because it's the, you know we live in kind of a scary world, 43 million of it was actually for security, <laughs> but that's kind of sad. Um, but still, that leaves about uh, almost three million left over for the party. So you know, three million dollars—that's a pretty—that's a pretty all-out party. Like I'm sure they didn't just order chicken nuggets from McDonald's, you know. Uh, I mean, this was a big deal. And it was elaborate, right? And uh, her dress was extraordinary. And the clothes and the, the food and everything, the decorations was like top end, right? And it's not just about the money, but it's also about who gets invited. Well, and actually who doesn't get invited. And if like, you read, you can Google this, you know, on uh, Prince Harry's wedding. You can find out everybody who is invited. Any of you invited? Well, of course not, right? Because <laughs> we're nobodies, right? Like, people got invited were important people, celebrities and stars and big-name people. But what's funny, there's those who got invited, but there's also a list of people who probably should have got invited but didn't, right? Like political leaders and, uh, and some people who were supposedly friends who did not get invited. And, you know, um, it kind of says something, does it? Right? Who got invited and who doesn't get invited, it all means something. And if you didn't get invited, you had to explain, well, I guess, I guess we really weren't friends like I thought, right? I guess I really wasn't as important as I thought. Well, the same thing was true in Jesus' day, right? These kind of weddings were filled with um, huge significance, and, and who got invited and who didn't get invited was a big deal. And so as Jesus is telling this story, people listening would have understood kind of how this worked. When the king, the king doesn't invite everybody, he doesn't invite commoners, he invites nobles, he invites important people, significant people, right? And it mattered who he invited and who he didn't, right? And if you thought you were important and you didn't get invited and you were being snubbed by the king, it didn't go well for you, right? It didn't say a lot about where you stood with the king, um, uh, and, and it was a way to really dishonor somebody. But this king is not like that. This king clearly wants to invite all the right people, and he is, he is excited about the wedding of his son. Right? So it's not only is it kind of a political event, not only is it a big social event with lots of powerful people showing up to show off you know, who they are, but really this wedding is about a king who is so excited about his son getting married. Right, And, of course, uh, weddings are, are, are good things, and, and we love going to weddings. And if you have a friend who gets married, that's a great honor. But there really is something about when your child gets married, when your kid gets married. Uh, for, for, the, for a king, it meant, it meant the furthering of his, of his monarchy, right? Because if he has no heirs, no descendants, nobody to pass the throne on to, uh, it's kind of the end of it for him. So there, there's the idea that my son, he's going to get married, he's going to have kids, right? And of course, that's what, one of the things that's exciting for parents when their kids get married. There's the hope of grandchildren. Yay, right? And we're excited about that. And so there's a lot of anticipation, there's a lot of joy, and there's a lot of celebration around a wedding. And this king is, is celebrating. He is delighting in his son, and presumably delighting in his new daughter-in-law. And he's excited. And he wants to share that joy with, with uh, the world. Right? So he invites these people to come and share and the joy to participate with him in this 
beautiful celebration that he is excited about. Right? And so it's interesting when the, when the first servants are rejected, um, I don't know if the king thinks, well, maybe they didn't understood that I really wanted them to come. I was just being polite, right? So he sends out more messengers. And it really is an amazing picture of, of God's grace, right? Of God pursuing, of this king pursuing. No, I, I really want you here. It's important to me that you come and you join with me in these, uh, these happy festivities. So he sends a second group. Um, but it doesn't go well with the second group of, of messengers, right? It says, it says that uh, even after they give their sales pitch, maybe they have some PowerPoint show. Look at the food. Here's the menu. I'm telling you, this is going to be good. Like it's not chicken nuggets from McDonald's. You know, this is like really good stuff. The fatted calf. Like this is going to be great. Come. But it says, but they paid no attention. And went off, one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Right? They paid no attention. And literally, the, that phrase in Greek literally means they did not care. They did not care uh, about the king's business. They did not care about the wedding of his son. Uh, and it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't just that they were busy or had other things to do. And it does say, you know, the one guy went off to his farm and another went off to his business. The point is this, that anything and everything was more important than the celebration of the king for them. Uh, I don't know if you've ever worked on a farm. I grew up part of my childhood on a farm. And I'm telling you, farm work is not all that exciting. You know, shoveling manure is just not that exciting. Uh, a lot of the farm work is grueling and dirty and hot, right? Uh, and, and when I was a kid, every once in a while we'd have a hot day, we'd be working, and my dad would say, I think we need to take a break and go get ice cream. And I mean, this is like the best thing ever. Like, I thought I had just died and gone to heaven. Uh, I got out of work, and we got ice cream. It didn't happen very often, but man, when it did, I didn't say, oh, sorry, Dad, I've got manure to shovel, <laughs> Right? No, I was in the truck. I mean, before my dad could could finish his sentence, I was in the truck. I was ready to go. Okay, let's get that ice cream. Right, the manure can wait. Uh, these guys are saying, "Look, manure is more important than the king." Right? Uh, they they are saying that the king is not really that important to me. Right. And, 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 you know, uh, we may have good reasons not to attend the wedding of a neighbor. Maybe our neighbor invites us and we just feel like we're not that close. I really don't know them that well. Uh, maybe we really don't care about our neighbor. But you do not re- refuse the invitation of a king, of your king, right? Uh, there is no good reason to not attend the wedding of your king unless you really don't want to be ruled by the king, right? And that's what it comes down to. When you reject the invitation of a king, you are making a statement that you really don't want them to be your king, that you really don't want them ruling over you, that you don't care about his son who will be the king someday, right? It is a royal snub, and it is rejecting his rule and it is an incredible dishonor to the king 
and to his son. Right? And ultimately, it really is an act of rebellion. Right? It's not just, I don't want to go to the party. It, it would have been taken in Jesus' day, and the, those listening, they would have understood it this way. No, you are rejecting, you are rebelling against the king. Right? You are defying him by refusing to attend. And of course, on top of that, if that wasn't bad enough, they mistreat and, and kill the messengers. Right? So if, it's, if there's any doubt about their hatred for the king and their rejection of his rule over them, it becomes clear when he kills, when they kill the messengers and they mistreat them. It is obvious that these, uh, that these uh, invited guests are really rejecting the king. And remember, Jesus is speaking this to these religious leaders. And he's pointing out that you think you're the chosen ones of Israel, but you are rejecting the Son. You're in the process of rejecting the Son who the Father sent to you. And by doing so, you are proving that you are rejecting God himself. And you are rejecting his rule over your life. And all three parables come to that conclusion, that these guys were, were uh, defying God and rejecting his rule. Um, and so the king deals with insurrection and rebellion. Verse 7, the king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. All right, and the first one, the, the, the son uh, who says he's going to obey and then doesn't, um, he says, well, he may get into the kingdom after tax collectors and prostitutes. I think there's still some hope there, but he might still get in. Second parable, uh, the, the wicked tenants are cast out of the, of, of the vineyard, and it's given to somebody else. But in the third one, they are destroyed. Right? They are destroyed. Uh, they fall under God's eternal judgment. And the people listening would have been shocked if the king had done anything less. Like it's insurrection, it's rebellion against the king. And that's what's deserved. Um, and so after that, it says, Then the king said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. He says those invited initially were not worthy. Uh, they may have seemed worthy because they were important people. The king had invited the right people, the ones that society says are worthy. But they proved to be unworthy because of their rebellious hearts. Um, but I don't know that the second group is actually an upgrade, right? He says, go, go out into the main road, probably the main road leading in and out of the city, and just invite everybody. From a social point of view, these are not the worthy people, right? These are not high-so people. These are not noble people. These are not the kind of people that you would expect at a royal wedding. The king says, that's okay. I want people to come. I want people to celebrate this important event with me. And what's interesting, he says, uh, they went out and invited even the good and the bad. Right? These people clearly, uh, like the bad, are, are, are really not worthy. Right? They're not worthy at all. Um, but, but they proved to be worthy. Why? Because they, uh, those who accept the invitation prove their worthiness because they honor the king by showing that he and his celebration is more important 
than what they have going on right then. Right? They make the king's party a priority. And they, uh, they, they show their honor to the king. They acknowledge their love and allegiance to the king by participating in the wedding. And so it says that the banquet hall is full, uh, full of guests. Uh, then in verse 11, the king came in to the, uh, look at the guests, and he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Um, uh, we don't really know exactly what this tradition meant, but uh, clearly there was a guy who showed up who was not dressed for the occasion. Right? He, he was not wearing the right clothes. Uh, and we know how this works when you go to a wedding. What do you do? You go find your, your nice dress. You maybe put on a suit. Uh, sometimes I even wear a tie. <laughs> I'm the preacher, so I'm kind of expected to dress up, right? Uh, you just don't show up in T-shirts and a short, shorts, right? You don't come in your dirty work clothes because it's really disrespectful, right? You dress up. Well, here's a guy who's there who's not dressed up. And there's a little bit of debate over what this means, and there's kind of two ideas. One possibility is that, uh, you know, he was called from work, uh, from the field or the factory, and he was dirty and grimy and in grungy clothes. And instead of going home and changing into clothes and taking a bath and cleaning up, instead he just shows up with his own dirty clothes on. Um, and that was inappropriate, right? It was not showing due respect. Uh, Others think that perhaps the king actually provided some kind of wedding suit at the door. Maybe he knew that poor people were coming and he knew they wouldn't have the right clothes, so he actually provided wedding clothes, a wedding suit that they could put on. Either way, the man came uh, not dressed appropriately. And, And really the same thing is going on here. By doing so, he is dishonoring the king. He is making a statement, and by his silence, he's... He's admitting that he knows he's in the wrong. Like he doesn't say, oh, like, you know, they were, out of, they were out of those, or these are the only clothes I have. He has no excuse. He is speechless. He knows that what he's doing is inappropriate and dishonoring. Right? He knows he's done something wrong. And, and it's proof that really he did, not, he did not come to honor the son. He didn't come to honor the king. He came for the food. Right? Like, that's all he cares about is the food. It's like, ah, you know, the, the food looked good. I was hungry. I came for the food. That's all. I didn't really come to celebrate. I just came for what was in it for me. Right? And so, likewise, he shows great disrespect. He says, it really wasn't, the celebration really wasn't that important to me. What was important to me was the benefits I could get. And so it wasn't worth the effort to change my clothes to honor the king, to dress for the occasion. And so like the first group who, who uh, rejected the king's invitation, this man also falls under judgment. It says he is bound hand and foot, and he is thrown out into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And throughout the Gospels, that's, that's just been a picture of God's eternal judgment in the fires of hell. Right? Uh, so, so he ends with this, this statement. Many are, are, are invited, literally. Many are invited, many are called or invited, but few are chosen. 
amazingly, God extends his invitation to all. Uh, but to be counted among the chosen, among the true people of God, requires more than just being invited. Right? We, as, as, as people who are invited, must respond some way. The chief priests and the elders had been invited, but they rejected the invitation because they were rejecting God. Um, but even in this last account, the guy was invited and he actually came, but he did not qualify. Right? So, so what, what is required? Right? What is required of us if we're to be found among the chosen, if we're to be participants in the kingdom? Well, uh, I think there's two things that he talks about here that are important. And let's close with these two things uh, that explain what the kingdom is and really what it means to be part of the kingdom. Right? And the first is this. Uh, to be in the kingdom is to participate in God's joy. Okay, to participate in God's joy. Now, I, thought, I, I know you probably thought I was going to say, you have to get saved. <laughs> well, maybe you have to get that too. We'll talk about that in a minute. But really, what, what God's kingdom is about is celebrating with the king what brings him joy and what he celebrates. Right? Uh, do you think about the kingdom in those terms? Sadly, I never heard this for many years growing up, going to church. I never once heard the word joy mentioned in a church service, except for at Christmas time when we sang joy to the world. That was pretty much it. So I knew the angels were happy at Jesus' birth, but I didn't know joy was something that was supposed to be true of our life as Christians. Right? But actually, it's a theme throughout the Bible. Uh, God is a God of joy. Like, do you picture God that way? Or do you picture mostly God as some big angry dude with a big stick who's just waiting to club people if they mess up? Well, that's actually not the, the best image of God, right? Um, now, we see here that God does have a side where he will judge those who reject him. But that's not his heart, right? His heart is to invite all. He wants all to come and participate and celebrate in the joy of, of, of his kingdom, uh, the joy that he has as a as a Father who loves his son, who delights in his son. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a little bit, the kingdom of heaven is, is kind of a party. And again, sometimes we think that this is talking about, yeah, when we die and go to heaven, there's going to be some big cool banquet, and it's going to be really good food, and we're going to be at this big wedding feast, right? Uh, and that's true, but this is, a, this is a parable more than it's a prophecy, and, and Jesus says the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a wedding feast. And I'm telling you, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is available for you now if you will step into it. And, and I think we need to understand that this celebration is something that is going on now that God invites us into. Right? He invites us to participate in joy. Now, does anybody here want joy in their life? Anybody? Anybody want more joy? A few of you. Do any of you have so much joy? You're like, oh, please just stop. I'm just my life is so overfilling with joy, right? Like this COVID thing has been so much fun. I just, I, you know, right? Anybody? No, right? We we all want more joy. Uh, and in this story, uh, it's 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 mind-boggling that uh, that he would invite these these people and they would actually refuse this. And reject this invitation to joy. 
But it's a great picture that um, they didn't really believe there was joy there. They went off to do their own thing because they thought they knew the path to joy uh, apart from the king. And that's, that's the heart of sin, right? The heart of sin is that we think we are going to find joy uh, in our life apart from God. That sin and sin's pleasures and sin's uh, appeal is going to bring me things into my life that God could never do for me. And it is an absolute lie of Satan. I'm telling you, there is no real joy apart from God. Right? And it's also important to see from the second example that this joy is not just joy in getting what I want. Now, I will confess to you, I've had some really sinful ideas about heaven uh, that were so self-centered and so uh, uh, void from God. And I remember when I was young, I used to think heaven was going to be about me getting to do all the fun things I couldn't do enough of on earth. And I would dream of skiing or going to the beach or going on these, uh, these great adventures, and it had very little to do with God. Well, I was missing the heart of heaven, right? I, I, I was going for the food. I didn't really care about the king. But that's not real, where real joy is. Right? Real joy cannot be found in just doing fun things, even for eternity in heaven. Right? Joy is, is found in celebrating the things that God celebrates and participating with him in what brings him joy. Right? Well, what brings God joy? Well, it's interesting when we think of, how, uh, of the great wedding that is going to take place. That wedding is between Jesus and his church, right? Jesus is the groom. We are the bride, actually. So uh, we're not just invited guests, but in other biblical images, we're actually the bride. Uh, and Ephesians 5 just depicts it this way. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Right? Um, that's the joy of God, that he uh, is redeeming for himself a people and making uh, them a beautiful, fitting bride. And, and, and this is just such an amazing passage, because I've done a lot of weddings uh, dozens, maybe hundreds in my life as a pastor. I've done a lot. And, you know, I've never showed up where uh, we were all dressed up. We all got our suits on. And the bride comes in just wearing rags and no makeup and her hair is all ratty. And she's like, I'm here, ready to get married. Right? That, that, that never happens. Right? The, the bride is always, uh, they spend a long time getting ready for this day and getting the perfect dress and getting the perfect makeup and hair. And they look Beautiful every time. But this bride doesn't show up that way. This bride isn't wearing a beautiful dress. This bride isn't clean. And it's actually the groom himself who takes the effort, who by his own sacrifice makes her beautiful, cleans her up. Right? It's this amazing picture of God's glorious grace for us. Right? And it brings God incredible joy. Right? His redeeming plan to make us a holy people for himself, clean and spotless without wrinkle through the blood of Jesus, through his Son.
That's joy for God. And he wants us to participate in the joy of that with him. Right? Second thing, um, well, and by, by the way, uh, you cannot honor God without celebrating God. You cannot honor God without enjoying the things that he enjoys. Right? That was the problem with these guys. They did not honor God because they did not join in his celebration. You cannot really honor God if you do not enjoy him and enjoy his redeeming work in our life. Um, second thing, um, we, we must seek his righteousness. Right? So the, the, the guest who showed up, he came, he was invited, he came, but he didn't put on the wedding garment. Uh, the wedding garment clearly here is a, is a picture of the righteousness of God. So which is it? Is it a righteousness that the king provided, or is it something he should have gone home and done himself? I think the answer is yes. It's both, right? It's both. Um, and, and I don't know that the people hearing this parable would have understood this, but when you look at the rest of Scripture, it's clear that both things take place. Uh, we, we accept the invitation not just by showing up at the party, but through faith that leads to repentance, Right? And when we do that, we are trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross right, to deal with our sin, to cleanse us. But also, at the same time as Jesus is taking away our sin, the Bible says that he puts on us his own righteousness. And that is a one-time instant event when we get saved. We are justified. We are made right with God through the cross. And we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And we are holy. Right? We have the garments. And then this, uh, this language is used in Revelation of those who stand before the Lamb. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Right? That's a one-time event that happens uh, by God's work, giving us that, that, that garment. But it is also true that we do have to clean up our own life. Right? There is the picture of ongoing, what we call ongoing sanctification. And that means changing our life to make uh, our life look like what it really is in Christ, right? Where we have to deal daily with sin. Like, we, it's not okay to just keep sinning. It's not okay to not clean up our life. We have a responsibility to seek his righteousness. Uh, as it says in, in Matthew 6, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It means daily we need to be putting on uh, the life of Christ and his righteousness and his character and his obedience. So we honor him also by seeking to be like him, by dressing for the occasion, right, with a holy life that is free from sin and that's pleasing to, to him. Um, that's what it means to live in the kingdom, right, to join in participating in his joy but also to be serious about living a different kind of life. And I believe this parable shows us that both things are super important. It's not enough just to try to clean up your life and be holy, but not care about the joy. It's not enough to just, you know, love the party, but not be serious about changing our life to be like Christ. Right? We need to be doing both. Right? And I think both bring, uh, they bring balance to our life, right? Uh, otherwise we get, we get off, 
We get off in one way or the other, right? And so we want to take just a moment now and let's, let's do those two things, right? Let's confess. Let, let's deal with sin in our life and take it seriously. Let's put on the righteousness of Christ. But as the worship team comes, let's also celebrate God's goodness and his love and his saving work in our life. Right? That's what puts us right now in the kingdom. Let's pray. Please pray with me. Dear Jesus, we acknowledge you this morning as our ruler and our savior. You are our authority. You are all authority. All authority has been given to you in heaven and on earth. Jesus, you are highly exalted. Your name is above every name. At your name, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that you, Jesus, are Lord to the glory of God the Father. You are the Lamb. And through your shed blood, sin and death is conquered. We acknowledge this morning that you are worthy of our praise and our worship. We are humbled and we bow our hearts in thankfulness to you. We want you to be our ruler, our king. We never want to dishonor you by rejecting your invitation to join you, to be with you, to refuse your rule in our lives. Please help us to abide in you. Because it's only through relationship with you that we have hope and joy and peace. Jesus, it's so easy to allow other things to distract from you. Our allegiance is given partially to someone or something else. And we trade what's best and what's eternal for what's hollow and empty and temporal. Jesus, no matter what, we want to obey you. We want to serve you. We want our lives to be spent on you. We want to put away selfishness and sin. And we want to be clothed in your righteousness. You are the source of all that is good and right and best. Jesus, thank you for the invitation to participate in your joy. Your true joy. Your lasting joy. Jesus, we want to celebrate with you. To celebrate what you celebrate, to love what you love. We want to celebrate you, Jesus. We want to be like you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.